This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to get into what it's like to be an executive chef for the first time, some of the pitfalls that you may face, some of the mistakes that I personally made, and hopefully you can learn from some of these things. So I'll start with giving everyone an update. I just wrapped up the book, Chef's PSA, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. You can buy it now on Amazon. I'm not sure if I'll do an audio version of it. I'm, I'm still thinking about it if I want to do it or not. But right now, the book is out. I had a lot of fun writing it. I think you guys will really like it. Um, what we're going to talk about today with the executive chef position and a day in the life of the executive chef, um, a lot of that is covered in the book. You know, the, there, There's actually a, a story that I use inside the book where I go through what it's like to be a restaurant executive chef or a, you know, a hotel or large operation executive chef and how distinctly different they are. But I did have a lot of fun writing this book. Actually, it inspired me to maybe start thinking about the next one. And one of my favorite books is by Robert Greene and it's titled The 48 Laws of Power. And if you haven't read it, um, it has nothing to do with cooking, by the way. It's just a good book, uh, strategic um, I'm a chess player, so this is kind of like human chess. And I was thinking about, you know, we have the Chef's PSA, the first book, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, and then the second book, which is Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, which is intended to be much more serious than the first book, which is, you can take the first book serious, but it's more like pick and choose your battles, which one do you like, which one applies to your kitchen. But I was thinking, what what is the book that's missing uh, if, you know, if there was a trilogy? And I was thinking, you know, The 48 Laws of Line Cooks. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to use that title, but, uh, you know, maybe it's the Line Cook Bible or the, the Line Cook Survivor Manual or something like that. Um, but I was thinking, that's the book that I need to write is like, what are, what are the laws that all new line cooks need to know? What are the laws that they abide by? So maybe that'll be the third book. I'm unsure. I might write it. I might not. But if I do write it, um, it won't be a super long book. It'll be, you know, similar in, in style to the, to the first one. Let's get into executive chef. Now, before everyone starts calling me up and saying, oh, executive chef usually means this, chef de cuisine usually means a restaurant. I'm going to say the term chef from this point forward to mean the person that's running the kitchen, the head person. So this could be the executive chef. This could be the chef de cuisine. This could be the culinary director. I'm not sure what the specific hierarchy is where you work, but let's just assume that's what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I am talking about the person that is in charge of the culinary operation, whether it's in a restaurant, whether it's in a hotel, whether you're on a cruise ship, whatever. I'm talking about that person. When I went to culinary school, this was the year 2000 and I'm sorry, 2000. I went into culinary school in 1995. 10 years later, I was already an executive chef. So I was on my second executive chef position actually 10 years later. But the first one, I, I hate to say it didn't really count because my chef was still in the building. He had gotten promoted up and he took me up with him and made me the executive chef. But it was like executive chef with training wheels. And uh, he kept me there for about two years underneath him so I could 
still have like that safety net if I made a mistake. He was still pulling the strings. So I wasn't truly the executive chef yet. I was making some mistakes. But my second executive chef job um, in California, very large, beautiful luxury resort, four-star resort, was probably beyond my capabilities at the time to be an executive chef so young and such a large prestigious property cooking the level of food that we were cooking but what got me there was my culinary ability not necessarily my ability to lead a team and you know really understand like the business acumen side that goes into being an executive chef so what was the first big mistake i made i had this assumption that as the executive chef the only thing people cared about was being in the office managing food costs controlling labor etc that couldn't have been further from the truth. So when I started my job, I was like, well, I'm gonna cut food cost, I'm gonna cut labor cost, I'm gonna show everyone that I'm good with the executive responsibilities of this position. And in retrospect, that was a huge mistake because if, if you've been a chef for a number of years, you know that the last thing you wanna do in a position is cut food cost because then you have to meet that number the next month and the next year and it just it's a slippery slope towards cutting costs and then in order to continue to cut costs usually what happens after that is you start sacrificing quality but i didn't know that i thought let me do a better job my my last chef was making 23 percent food cost or whatever i don't remember what the number was let me let me try and get it to 22 or 21 and i remember lowering food costs by about two to three percent and my chef coming up to me and saying you need to be careful doing that because they're going to expect you to do it next month and you've already played all your cards. You have nowhere else to cut. They're going to say, give me another percent and you're going to say, but I already cut everything and then you're going to look foolish. I didn't really understand that advice when he gave it to me because I, I didn't understand that if you work for a corporation or if you work for a, a, an owner, a lot of time that bottom line does matter and if you give them too much, they're they're always going to want more. They always assume that there's more to give. So never show everything that you could do within the first month. And that was my mistake. I was like, I'm going to show you everything I could do in the first month. I'm going to cut all these costs, look at where I've got the bottom line. And then they said, great, give me more. And I was like, well, there, there's nowhere else. And, and in retrospect, like what I should have done is, and I, and I talk about this in the book, actually, I usually write down like a hundred ideas of, you know, where I wanna contain costs or whatever. And I don't implement them all at once. I, I implement a few and then they say, okay, give me more. I implement a few more and if they say, give me more and so on and so forth. And I do that so I don't show everything that I have and run out of ideas because you will be asked to give more later on. I'm not the type of chef that thinks that a chef's bones are made by their financial statement. And I'm not saying that that isn't important, but I, I think early on I thought that that was the most important and it's not. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. There's not a restaurant owner out there or uh, a, a hotel general manager or business owner that says, if you give them a choice, you could have amazing food or you could have good food cost. Most likely, most people are gonna say, I'll take amazing food because they know that they could build upon that. You can't really build off good food costs and I'm not saying it's not important. But what I am saying is that it's a chef's mistake when they think that that's the most important thing. It's still about the food. And I didn't realize that. I thought it was like, I already knew how to cook. I could take my foot off the gas, give someone else my recipes, and then I could focus on the business side. That's a big mistake I think chefs make is you still, you still have to be in the kitchen. It's still about being with the team. It's about developing strategy, culture, um, 
what you want your kitchen to feel like, how you want it to run. That is a big mistake that I made as a chef was focusing too much on the admin versus splitting my time fully within the restaurant and the admin side. Now, at one point, I became the chef of a restaurant a couple of years later, and I will say a day in the life of a restaurant chef versus a hotel chef or a cruise ship chef or a country club chef, very different. And I talked about this maybe on another podcast where I said about 80% of my time was in the operation and 20% was admin. In hotels, sometimes it's the opposite, where it's 80% of your time is in meetings and admin and 20% of your time is in the culinary operation. And that's something that I think people need to understand when you're getting your first chef job. I could have expanded upon that a little bit more when I did the podcast on restaurants, hotels, and country club chefs. But that's something that a lot of people don't know when they get into their first chef position is that there's a ton of meetings, there's a ton of admin, there's a ton of politics. You're not always making all the decisions. Other people are influencing your decision. And sometimes you're just the mouthpiece for someone else. That could be hard to deliver the message down to a culinary team when, you know, let's just say you have a boss that tells you you need to cut costs. He's not going to go or she's not going to go deliver that message. You need to be the one to deliver the message. And I had never been in a position where I was the deliverer of all the bad news, especially news that I didn't always agree with. And I think that's a, that's a tough thing because sometimes you're put in a position where you have to deliver the news that you might not necessarily agree with, but who else is going to deliver it? That's what you get paid to do. That's your job. Your job is sometimes to be the bad guy. That's also something that I had a hard time with early on in my career was being the bad guy and sometimes not always being liked because when I was the sous chef, everyone loved me. I was everyone's favorite sous chef, but all of a sudden I became the executive chef and all of a sudden those relationships are different. Sometimes you walk in the room and you see people whispering and it's like, what are they talking about? Oh, they're talking about you. That's something else that a first time chef needs to consider is that you were everyone's friend and now all of a sudden you're everyone's boss and there's a, there's a line there and I would, I would advise you to make sure that that line remains. You can't get too comfortable with your staff because in the end, they will have a hard time understanding why you're reprimanding them, why you're disciplining them, why you might have to fire them. If you get too friendly, it's, it's tough. I always used to say that I would prefer to fire someone before I, I know them because once I know them, it's very hard to fire them because now you know their kids' names, you've built a friendship with them. It makes it tough to hold them accountable when you, when you know the intimate details of their personal lives and their struggles. So it's an area that as a chef, I think it's a fine balance to know your staff, but not know them too much. You got to have a little bit of professional distance from them. It's a struggle. And there's, I couldn't sit here and tell you where that line begins and ends, but it's important that you recognize it because some people will take full advantage of that. I used to say to my chefs around me, and I learned this later on. I didn't learn this early in my career because you know sometimes you'd be upset because you still want to be everyone's favorite. Everyone complains about their boss. Everyone, everyone always bitches about, you know, so-and-so they don't get it. If I was in their job, I, I would do this, that, and the other. The fact of the matter is that's not true. And a very difficult thing for people to understand is that when you're not in the room, they're bitching about you. They're, your, your chefs are, are bitching about what they would do in your position. They're saying how they would do your job better. It, it's, it's everybody. I've seen it happen on all levels. I've seen it happen to great chefs and I won't say which ones, but I've seen it happen to, you know, some of the best chefs in the world where, you know, other people are talking poorly about them when they're not in the room. My feeling on it has always been if a bunch of my chefs are out having a drink and let's just say they're all at the bar and they're all, all the sous chefs are having a cocktail and they're bitching about me, I'm okay with that. I have a problem if one of them comes back to me and says, hey, just so you know, we, they were all talking crap about you and you should know this because then I think, oh, I don't, 
I, I'm not pissed at them. That's what they're supposed to do because I, I, I do that. That's the same. That's what everyone does. I have a problem that you came back and told me because that means not only can I not trust you, but they can't trust you. If you're a chef and you think that they, they love you, trust me, everyone is showing you a different side to them when you're in the room versus when you're not in the room, you know, assuming that they're respectful. Um, it's just courteous. No one's going to complain to you in front of your face. They're going to do it as soon as you, as soon as you leave the room. So if you think that's not happening, if you're the chef, you're sadly mistaken. They don't all love you. They don't all agree with your decisions. They don't all laugh at your jokes because you're the funniest person. It's, it comes with the job. That's what you get. You know, we're talking, you know, the sword of Damocles here. Um, there's a, the, the stress of sitting on the throne with a, a sword hanging above your head. Um, because that's what's happening around you. And it's your job to keep the peace. I didn't realize how much of my job was keeping the peace and understanding that, Hey, those tough conversations need to happen. And I think the last thing that I'll talk about when it comes to being the chef is that you are fully responsible for everything good and bad. You have 100% responsibility. I know I did a, a video on, on social about this saying, you know, you own 50% of the blame. And I, and I think I, I misspoke. You own 100% of the blame of all problems. But the action is like 50% someone else, 50% of the time it's someone else, but you have to explain to it. So, you know, if someone does something stupid, you have to go defend them. And then you have to go back and deal with the person. So you actually have to deal with it twice. You're upset with the person that burned the steak and you got to go talk to the customer and explain to them why their steak is burned. Or you got to go explain to your boss why the steak was burned. So you're constantly defending other people's problems because as the chef, you are solely responsible for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I think in the cases of the good, it's important to share that success with your team and not take all the credit and say, oh, look what I did. Because the fact of the matter is without the team, you're not accomplishing anything. But that's mentally one of the hardest things to transition to is that initially you want to blame other people. You want to say, oh, so-and-so did it or so-and-so did it or food cost is high because of this. But the fact of the matter is no one cares. You're the chef. You're responsible. You're the one that needs to fix it. That's something very tough for someone to deal with going from shared responsibility to full responsibility. And it's a pressure cooker when you're, when you're the executive chef or you're the chef de cuisine. It's like everything falls on your shoulders and people don't grasp that. It's not the amount of physical work that you're doing that's exhausting. It's the amount of mental work that you're doing and everyone's coming to you with their problems. Whenever I would take over a new position, and this is advice for chefs when you're taking over a new position and, and you'll know what I'm talking about. You take over a new position and then there's always that one person that says, hey chef, can I talk to you for a minute? And you say, sure, and they sit you down. This is like on day one or day two. And then they proceed to tell you how everyone else is terrible and who's doing what and who's stealing and this, that, and the other. And it's like, that person is usually the problem, not who they're telling on. Um, at least in my experience, it's like, th there's always that one snake that's looking to do a, a power move immediately when the new boss comes in. So be weary of that person and, and keep your distance. Being a chef is great though. You know, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be ups and downs. There's difficult days. It's a learning process. Surround yourself with good mentors. Follow Chef's PSA. Obviously, I'm always going to give you good advice. I'm going to shoot you straight. But enjoy the process. Enjoy the time learning and becoming the chef and really growing yourself, growing your team. The best investment you could do is invest in yourself and invest in your team. Your returns are infinite. So make sure that that you're developing your team, that is, that is the most important thing. That's, if I could give you one piece of advice, develop yourself, develop your team. Everyone gets better. Win-win across the board.
But lastly, don't forget that it's always all about the food. Yeah, at the end of the day, you need to make sure that you could cook. Always be honing your skills as a chef. Don't rest on the fact that you're in the position and then um, now you don't need to cook anymore. Now you don't need to read books or study or whatever it is that you do to get better as a chef. You need to make sure that you're still doing that every single day. Even, even when all the cooks are standing around saying, you know, do they still know how to cook? All they do is, you know, tell us what to do. Does that person know how to cook? Everyone's going to say that. Everyone's going to question your ability. You know, it's, it's like you're the, uh, you're, you're the champ and, and you haven't defended your title in a while and people wonder if you got lucky and became the champ on accident. You didn't. Hard work and, you know, work ethic, discipline got you there, but no one seems to remember that. They all think that you just magically fell in the position. So that's, you know, probably one of the other hurdles that you'll face as a chef is that everyone on your team will question your ability. Anyway, long story short, that's it. So... If you want to support the podcast, give us five stars on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to. Um, it's a five-star podcast. Nothing less is acceptable. We have the books available on Amazon. We have the merch available. It's also available on Chef's PSA. Follow us on all our social channels, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I need more followers on Twitter. Uh, Chef Twitter, by the way, is really boring. Everyone's behind you know, their PR team and they're just tweeting out recipes and how-tos, but you know, no, no one's talking crap. And honestly, that's the, the best part of Twitter is the banter back and forth. Anyway, thank you all, and we'll see you next week. Hit the porno music. Mm-hmm.